Well, the atmosphere was electric, the crowds were massive, and the race was one of the best this season. The United States Grand Prix delivered everything and it extended the championship lead for Max Verstappen. It showed off some of the strategic elements that go into Formula One, and it was a nail-biter until the end. We're going to go over the race. We'll tell you what the teams had to say afterwards. But first, this is the Overtake F1 podcast. Subscribe if you like what we're doing. Leave us a five-star review. It helps us grow this podcast. Also on Facebook, the Overtake F1 podcast. Like that page. You can participate in conversations that we have throughout the season on the sport. It was an absolutely fantastic weekend for Formula One here in the United States. Massive crowds at the Circuit of the Americas, celebrities pouring out to be part of the entire weekend. Now, when you add the race, which was thrilling, again, it was a fantastic three days. Now, it started in qualifying where Max Verstappen took pole position, edging out Lewis Hamilton for the front of the grid. The two drivers were going to start 1-2 in the Grand Prix with a chance to go racing side-by-side into the tight turn one. Now, we talked about this in our preview episode. We haven't really seen this in a while with both drivers taking engine upgrades, separating themselves at the start. Sort of the last few races have been damage control. But we had an opportunity on Sunday to see these two drivers right there, sort of side by side with Max ahead in the pole position. And when we did get to the Grand Prix, the two drivers did go side by side. Hamilton got off to a better start off the line. Verstappen tried to take sort of that inside line to cut Hamilton off. But Lewis got by, forced Max off the track as they made that turn, uh, that left-hander on top of the hill. Sergio Perez alongside Max when Hamilton got the lead. And then Perez letting his teammate regain that P2 position so he could begin the chase. We went into the S's, the cars, with the two Red Bulls behind Mercedes up front. Meanwhile, those three cars were doing that. Ferrari and McLaren were having a really good opening fight. At one point, Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo on both sides of Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari. It was important to note that Perez did yield that second place to Verstappen because it was pointed out in the broadcast, and rightfully so, that Max would have lost that spot to anybody else. Right, He was going to be P3 if anybody else was in that position that Sergio Perez was in. That's how much a ground he had lost to Hamilton going that wide off of turn number one. So he would have gone, again, from pole position to P3. Instead, it's P2, and those two drivers start separating themselves a little bit from the pack. If there was another car that Max would have had to deal with en route to tracking down Lewis, it could have been a different race. Eventually, he probably would have overtaken a McLaren or Ferrari, whoever would have gotten that spot. But again, it's it's something you don't want if you're tracking down one guy to sort of deal with the dirty air and sort of the overtaking. It, it puts you in a, in a disadvantaged position to track down a guy that you kind of want to stay very close to in the early stages of the race, especially in a race that's got a two-stop strategy. Almost all of the cars started on the medium tires, and Max kept himself within about a second in the early portion of the Grand Prix. So now the strategy of the undercut was being figured out by the Red Bull team. Now, if you're new to Formula One, I'll tell you what the undercut is. If you're you know, experienced in Formula One, hang on, we just got to clarify this real quick. The undercut is when you pit earlier than your track rival, you get fresh tires, then you go out, you try to produce faster lap times so that when your rival goes in for tires, you're trying to go as fast as you can so that you beat him when he comes out of the pits so that you now have the lead of the race. Now, the undercut has been 
in play a few critical times already in this championship. Red Bull was going to need to pull this off twice in a two-stop strategy race, which was the case at the U.S. Grand Prix. So Max comes in on lap 10. His tires were hot. They were sliding. So he gets a fresh set of hard tires. He comes out behind Charles Leclerc and Daniel Ricciardo. He is fourth when he regains P2 when Ricardo Perez and Charles Leclerc all go in for tires. Then Mercedes needs to figure out when to bring in Hamilton, and they do so on lap 14. Verstappen then took the lead, so the first undercut worked for Red Bull. Not all that surprising, but in the end, the, the strategy did work. Then the question becomes, did Mercedes go just a little too long on that first stint? Because when your opponent is trying to undercut you, your goal, obviously, is to build enough interval so that you don't lose the position when you go into pit. So in the case of the Circuit of the Americas, the time lost pitting is about 20 seconds. So Hamilton couldn't build up the lead of over 20 seconds on Max. So when he came in to get new tires, Max took the lead of the Grand Prix. But in the end, it, that wasn't all that surprising. Everyone knew it was going to be a two-stop race for both teams. It was really the second undercut or the second set of tires that were going to be in play. So now both drivers are on the hard tires. It's Hamilton's turn to track down Verstappen. Now, both drivers knew that it was going to be two stops, as I mentioned earlier. So we go into sort of phase two of the strategic element of the U.S. Grand Prix. Hamilton had his chance to undercut, but it was Max that went into the pits first. Now, remember, he has the lead of the race, so he goes in a bit earlier than many thought. He went in on lap 30. And this means on the new set of hard tires, he's going to have to go to 26 laps in the end. So remember, he pitted on lap 10 with hards. He pits again on lap 30. So he only used those, those first set for 20 laps. He's going to have to try to make these set go to 26. So they're obviously going to be worn down. There's going to be a little less grip. And now, once again, Mercedes, the ball is in their court. What are they going to do? So again, Hamilton regains the lead. Then Mercedes wants Hamilton to go longer on the new the set of hard tires that he had gotten on the first pit stop. Now, you may have heard them say in the broadcast, target plus six over the radio. So it was their plan to go much longer so that they would have a fresh set of tires at the end to track down Verstappen, pass him, and get the victory. You probably heard Toto Wolf said, you're racing for the win. And uh, Hamilton saying, leave it to me, bro. I got it. So Hamilton had about a 17-second lead over Max when Verstappen comes out of the pit area. So Max has gotten fresh tires. Hamilton's got a 17-second lead. Max really, really, really wants to close that gap as much as he could so that when Hamilton goes in, he's got as much of a lead as he possibly can towards the end of the Grand Prix. Give real estate between him and Hamilton as much as possible so that on those worn-down tires at the end, there's still the opportunity to hold off Hamilton. Now, remember, now, seconds are absolutely critical here. I mean, this is a sport, again, tenth of a second matters, hundredth of a second matter. So everything is really, really critical. So in the second round of pit stops, for example, Lewis Hamilton had a 0.4 second advantage over Red Bull's Max Verstappen pit stop, right? You start thinking, we're talking really, really fine-tuning here. So Max does get his interval down on the fresh tires. It was down to 11 seconds when Hamilton came in for the second tires on lap 38. The pit stop difference, again, four-tenths of a second in favor of Mercedes on that second round. It is all critical. Everything starts to matter at this point because both teams now know 
it is going to be very, very, very close to the end. They've all got the data and they're all showing this is going to be really, really tight. Max regains the lead when Hamilton's in the pits. Hamilton comes out 7.8 seconds is the interval between him and Max with 18 laps to go. Game on. Now, the lead gets up to nine seconds on lap 40 as Hamilton was getting through some traffic and some dirty air, but he was coming. And Max kept turning in fast laps to kind of keep him at bay. By the way, a masterful job by both drivers in this Grand Prix. With 15 laps remaining, Hamilton's interval was six seconds, and it was really starting to look like he had the advantage in the race. He got it down to four with 11 laps remaining. And at this point, you were gonna, you're going to need to see a really strong drive for Max to really hold him back. Hamilton's closing the gap, and now it seems like Red Bull, this is when you start second-guessing this strategy. Did they pit Verstappen too early back on lap 30? Should he have stayed out a little longer? At this point, you know, would he have fresher tires and, and give him a better fight from the hard-charging Mercedes that was behind him? But there was one thing that was working for Verstappen. The laps were winding down, and Hamilton was not on his back bumper. He was a second back and stayed that way for a while. This is critical because DRS was where Lewis would have been able to overtake him if he could enable it. Verstappen gets behind the Haas of Mick Schumacher. Max ran into his dirty air, but at the DRS zone, Verstappen is able to use this because he's within a second of Schumacher because he's right behind him. Hamilton could not use his him on the back stretch. This was the difference as Max holds off Hamilton for the checkered flag. It was his first win in America. It gave him a 12-point lead in the championship because Hamilton did get the fastest lap. This result is critical. Think about it. If, if Hamilton had found a way to get past Verstappen, Hamilton had a one-point lead heading into Mexico. But instead, now the gap is 12 points. The strategy was there for Mercedes. They had the fresher tires. They made up the ground. It did come down to the final laps, as both teams predicted. It's just that in the end, Max had an epic drive, benefited from that late DRS on the backstretch, and that was enough to give him a cushion to finish out where he didn't need to worry about Hamilton, only about hitting his marks and not making any driving errors. Now, I said in our preview that teammates were going to be needed at Coda, and at least teammates needed down the stretch. They were not in play whatsoever in this Grand Prix. Sergio Perez did finish third, but he wasn't a real help to the team other than yielding to Max on the opening lap. Now, to be fair, his drink mechanism did not work, so he basically drove the entire Grand Prix without any hydration. He did struggle with that, as I guess we all would. So his drive was even more epic, but he, you know, he didn't he didn't need to, they didn't need him to be in the strategic element of this race. Valtteri Botas, he was a non-factor as well. He started further back to a yet to another engine upgrade and started ninth. He did finish P6. But he was not up front to do to push Verstappen. He wasn't up front to defend against Verstappen. So Hamilton didn't use him. Perez wasn't needed by Red Bull. So the teammates were not a factor into this Grand Prix. But it's another chapter of the season-long battle between these two drivers. We saw this in Bahrain where they opened up the season. A super close finish there. Remember track limits. Verstappen had to give the race lead back to Hamilton. They were right next to each other at the finish line. They went side-by-side side at Imola on the opening lap. Hamilton used the undercut at Barcelona. Max then used it at Paul Ricard. They tangled in uh, at Great Britain in Cops, and we know that Max went into the wall. They ended up in the gravel at Mon 
Monza. Now you get this one in the United States, and we've got five races remaining. So how did the teams do on Sunday? Let's go over each team in the Grand Prix and kind of give you their overall race. All right, for Red Bull, great day. Their strategy paid off. It was a win for Max, a P3 for Sergio Perez. It's the first time Red Bull has had two drivers on the podium in back-to-back races since 2017. So that was a big day for Christian Horner and the Red Bull team. As far as Perez, he must have drank like 50 Red Bulls when he was done. That may have exploded your heart, but maybe a gallon of water. I can't imagine being that thirsty. Now imagine being that thirsty in a hot car, on a hot day, on a hot track, and losing the strength you need as you continue to drive at high speed. And, And by the way, why does this keep happening? I feel like like a bunch of drivers have had problems with their drink systems, or maybe it's just Kimmy. I don't know, but it just feel like I've done this. I've seen this story many times. Uh, Mercedes. Well, they had everything right. They just ran out of laps. Hamilton got the lead right off the bat. That's what they wanted to do. They hit their target with the second pit stop and even had a faster stop than Red Bull. But that moment where Max got that DRS with the Haas in front and Lewis was not able to use his was the difference of this Grand Prix. Hamilton did finish one, 1.6 seconds behind. As I said, before every moment of this race made a difference. Valtteri Botas did finish sixth. He was stuck behind some traffic, couldn't make a move to the front. He did take a grid penalty uh, after changing the internal combustion engine. By the way, that's six uh, engine upgrades for Valtteri Botas this season. Ferrari, it was another double points day for the Scuderia. Charles Leclerc finishing fourth. Carlos Sainz running seventh. For Leclerc, a rather uneventful day. He didn't have the pace to challenge Perez for P3, but he wasn't really challenged either from the cars behind him. The new upgrades for Ferrari, by the way, that they've used over the last few races, they've looked good. However, Carlos Sainz, he had a rough day. He he literally battled the McLarens all day, it seemed like. At one point, he was told to give back a spot to Norris, but he said he'd already given a spot back to Ricardo. He had a slow pit stop, uh, and he was passed by Botas at the end. He finished P7. As for McLaren, kind of the same day as Ferrari, but slightly down. Daniel Ricciardo finished behind Leclerc for P5. Norris behind Sainz for P8. Remember, those two teams are having some really good battles for P3 in the Constructors' Championship. It was a great fight all race with Sainz and Ricardo trading places a few times on the opening lap. Ricardo loves Austin, so it was a great weekend for him. By the way, that was a really cool video of him being able to drive the 1984 Dale Earnhardt car around the track as a reward from Zach Brown, the owner of the car, for getting a podium finish and also winning at Monza. Uh, Norris, though, felt he could have done better. He felt like he didn't defend particularly well. But the team did concede that the Ferraris were too strong that particular track on that particular day. Alpha Tauri, there's good and then there's bad. Pierre Gasly is the bad. He was the first to retire early. He called it a day after some suspension problems. They had some problems before the race, and uh, they ended up retiring. Yuki Tsunoda, though, he had a fantastic day. He finished P9. He started the race on the soft tires, and he made that work. So he got in the points uh, at Coda for Alpha Tauri. Alpine. Both Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon had to retire the cars. Ocon retired after mechanical issues. He had his front wing damaged in an early tangle with an Alfa Romeo. Alonso, he had some good battles with Kimi Raikkonen on track and Antonio Giovinazzi as well, but he was having an okay race at you know, he was starting in the back. He thought he could have gotten in the top 10 to finish out the day, but he had to retire with rear wing damage. It also ends a 15 race stretch where the team had at least one driver in the points. 
Aston Martin, Lance Stroll finished 12th. He could not recover after an early spin by Nicholas Latifi. This was not Stroll's fault whatsoever. Sebastian Vettel finished 10th. He had a grid penalty. He went longer on the tires, which allowed him to get in a top 10 position, obviously helped by the spin out by Kimi Raikkonen late. That enabled him to get in the points. Williams nodding... Williams, nothing to report here except Nicholas Latifi to get involved in that early spin with Stroll, as I mentioned. George Russell finished 14th, Latifi 15th. Neither car had any pace to come anywhere close to a points finish. Alfa Romeo, no points for either Raikkonen or Giovinazzi. Both drivers got scrappy with Fernando Alonso in the race. Raikkonen was in the top 10 before he spun out and finished P13. Giovinazzi P11. His battle with Alonso was pretty good. It lasted about two laps. And also remember, he's fighting to keep his seat next season when Botas comes in to replace Raikkonen. So he's trying to keep his job. Haas. Now, this was their home Grand Prix, and other than Mick Schumacher playing a role at the end of the race with Verstappen and Hamilton, there was really nothing to write home about. Both cars finished, so I guess that's good, so neither one of them retired. Now, hopefully that they can take advantage of the cost cap next season to be a little bit more competitive in the future so that some of the U.S. fans will have a kind of a home team to root for for Miami and then later on at Austin if it does return next season, which, by the way, it does look good that it will. So we now move on to Mexico with the start of a triple header. It'll be Mexico, Brazil, and Qatar. The next two races are critical for Mercedes. They are both considered tracks that favor Red Bull at altitude. It's a 12-point deficit for Mercedes. So this is pretty steep if you don't compete with Red Bull in these next two races. That points deficit could be unsurmountable. But also, remember... The gap was over 30 when the drivers got to Silverstone in July, and things changed pretty quickly because we know what happened to Max on the, la- on the opening lap at Cobbs. So that brings us to another angle to the U.S. Grand Prix. Could Hamilton take another engine penalty this season? Got five races left. Botas has taken six engine changes so far, including one at Coda. Total Wolf was asked about this on Friday. He said there are concerns of the reliability. They are worried about a future DNF. That would really kill their championship hopes. So don't be surprised if you hear that Hamilton is going to take another upgrade at some point somewhere in the final five races of the season. A DNF would kill them, but if you sort of manage damage in one of these next two races, for example. They're going to Qatar. People expect them to be strong there, even though we've not raced there before. Jeddah and Saudi Arabia, same thing. They're expected to be strong there. We've never raced there before either. And Abu Dhabi, where they're strong, even though Max won the race there last season. There is so much more as we head down the stretch. One thing I do want to mention, and I couldn't have been prouder as an American to see Formula One fans invade Coda like they did. It was absolutely marvelous. And you know what? You started seeing this from the global press of everyone talking about they're getting it. They're getting it. The U.S. is finally getting Formula One. This was the 60th Grand Prix race held in the United States since the Formula One series began 71 years ago. And right now is when people are starting to go, man, that United States audience is growing and growing, and they are finally coming around to this sport. And I know we've we've talked about this in previous podcast episodes. Some of the relationship between the United States fans and Formula One 
it's been dicey. Sometimes it's been great. Sometimes it's not been great. The interest has been there and it's not been there. And I get it. It's going back and forth. We've talked about the impact of drive to survive and whatnot, but I was really proud as, as you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast a long time, I've been a formula one fan for a long time. I've had no outlet to really do anything with it. And I feel like this is like an opportunity to do that. I'm an American sports talk show host that never gets to talk about formula one. Now I am starting to be able to talk a little bit more about formula one. We had Chris Medlin on my radio show to talk about the U S Grand Prix on Friday before the race. And we talked about all sorts of different things from the United States interest to the potential of Colton Herta possibly being a formula one driver, Michael Andretti buying out Saba, like all of the things that you're starting to hear here in the United States, Miami next season. It looks like Austin will be coming back. Um, I really, really am proud of this, the, the fans in this country to show what we can do when a Grand Prix comes here to the United States. I'm sure it impressed a lot of people around the world how many fans were in attendance. I said this in our review segment. We have not seen a lot of full house races. I think it's only, to be honest with you, I think it's only been Silverstone and the U.S., but I could be wrong about that. We've seen 70%, like even Zanville, as excited as they were for the Dutch Grand Prix returning after 36 years or whatever it was, they weren't at 100% capacity. Right? It was a lot, but it wasn't at 100%. A lot of races were not at 100%. But the U.S. Grand Prix was. They even added some grandstands. 140,000 people were in attendance. There was 120,000 people that were there Saturday for qualifying. So it warms my heart because as a guy that's trying to get more media presence in the United States as a Formula One fan, it, it bodes well for those of us who want to cover Formula One and talk about Formula One on a regular basis. So once again, great job by both Verstappen and Hamilton putting on a show for the fans in Austin and giving us a real feeling of where the championship is heading over the next five races. This has been so fun this year, and we have been so blessed to have this. You know, it, I said this earlier, you know, at the beginning of the season, it looked like momentum was going one way, and then momentum would go another way, and then you didn't know where it was heading, and then you had on the on-track collisions, and you had controversies, and then you had these engine penalties where both drivers at various points were trying to minimize damage. It has gone back and forth. We've seen both drivers do great things. We've seen both drivers struggle. It has been that exciting of a season. And when you think about where Red Bull was, was at after Turkey, when they watched Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes dominate that race, a race where Max Verstappen finished P2 and never challenged Bottas for the lead of that race, never came close to him, what they must have been thinking heading into Austin. Well, we really better make sure we're on our game just because Hamilton and Mercedes could win this thing. They could win this thing by a lot. If something happens to us, we could be going to Mexico really looking up at a deficit. And instead, they win this race. They find the pace they need going into qualifying to get that position, and they successfully managed the undercuts perfectly, and they go to Mexico with a 12-point lead at a track that they're favored on, and going to Brazil after that, another track that they're favored on. I can't wait to see where we are in the championship after those two races. Can Mercedes find something at both of those locations to sort of minimize the damage that has been predicted could happen to them in their championship fight heading into the Middle East? All right, so let's wrap it up. This is the Overtake F1 podcast, the United States Grand Prix review. We will be back for a preview of Mexico. 
another circuit that was not on the 2020 calendar. We go back to Mexico City. We'll talk about the track. We'll talk about the things to watch for in that podcast and give you a top five, bottom five from Austin. Once again, subscribe. If you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star review, please. It really does help us grow this channel. I've really enjoyed doing it this year, so I could use your help in that. Also, like us on Facebook, the Overtake F1 podcast. You can comment on our pages about news and notes around Formula One. If you need to contact me for whatever reason, you can email the show, the Overtake F1 podcast at gmail.com. And also, I am on Twitter at Tony D Radio. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast.